Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Jackie Mitchell. This is where we pick the best brains in the business world and you, the listener, feel like you are eavesdropping on a really interesting coffee conversation to give you and your business the inside edge. We take a look into the business mindsets of leaders and brands and probe into how they think, feel, learn, manage teams and themselves. We love sharing the knowledge and serve brain food to keep your business mind healthy. To continue the conversation, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. So, while our first guest settles in, orders their coffee, grab yourself one and we'll be right back after this. Welcome back. Our next guest is an expert in career development, talent management and organisational leadership. He's the co-founder of HR consulting firm Deliberate Practice and he helps aspiring, emerging and experienced leaders to develop their everyday skill set. And he's just written his first book titled Career Conversations, How to Get the Best from Your Talent Pool. Welcome to the show, Greg Smith. Thank you very much, Jackie. Good to have you here. Your first book, congratulations. It's always quite an, an achievement, that first one. It is. Thank you. Was the process uh, easy, hard? What was uh, it for you? Well, it took two years mm. and I I uh, Googled how to write a book. Oh, really? <laughs> oddly, enough, <laughs> oddly enough, it said uh, expected to take two years and it, from the day I started uh, writing it to the day it was published was exactly two years. So it was a thoroughly, really a thoroughly enjoyable experience oh that's good did you have some guidance did you get some some mentor or some advice along the way not really i i just uh, as i said uh, looked at what was available on the internet on, on how to write a book and i had uh i had this idea for this particular book gestating for quite some time uh before i put pen to paper but uh uh but no largely just uh, got on with doing it which was pretty much what the advice was that i was given Okay. Just, uh, now, outline and and, yep. and start writing. Okay. Yeah. Did, did you did you have a process? Like, did you say, right, I'm going to write for thirty minutes every day, or did you go for three hour blocks? Yeah, I and... tried to I tried to do a, a word count every day, um, but there were some days that I didn't make it uh, at all, and other days where uh, the words just flowed. But I'd have to say also, my publisher John Wiley was just terrific um, in guiding me, particularly with the finished work uh, through to making sure that it was actually achieving my objectives and structurally was 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 correct and uh, and of course the the expression so but I can't uh, speak enough for for John Wiley and the, and the, the whole team um, there in terms of helping me yeah well um, they they're consistently good so I think you've you've chosen you've chosen well there now yeah. I I enjoyed I enjoyed it very much I found it really easy to read uh, and there was a couple of elements there in it that I found particularly attractive and uh, one it was chapter three fit your own mask first and you mm. use an Oscar Wilde uh, quote which I do like this one be yourself everyone else is taken mm. so can you just tell us a little bit about what you mean by fit your own mask first Sure. Well, like with any leadership activity, um, it, it, you know, it, it, there's a lot that's spoken about being comfortable in your own skin to be a great leader. And that's so true uh, for being a career coaching leader. So to, to be able to help other people um, and help them with their own self-awareness, it's, 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 you know, you really need to be uh, pretty in touch with your own um, capabilities and attributes and values um, and in that way then you can help others do that so that's why I had that idea of fit your own mask first yeah, um, before you start 
start trying to help other people. Yeah, and I think that's somehow overlooked a lot. Have you had? A, is, is is that your experience? Uh, yeah, surprisingly, um, mm. you know, the work that I've been involved in with uh, very very senior leaders who who find um, starting from that position of actually having a good look at their own. Uh, capabilities and attributes and and uh, and competencies and values that they find it quite a cathartic experience and, and thinking gee I've often had it said uh, again by senior leaders how um, enlightening they've found it and, and they wish they'd done it a number of years earlier. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's really key. And you talk about listening, and there was one uh, heading that you had that uh, really took my attention, and I loved it. it. Was persuade with your ears? I had never heard that before, and I thought that was that was wonderful. So tell us a little bit what you meant by that. Well, I think uh, if you know, listening is one of those skills that you never stop learning to to develop, and that's why I don't like attaching a. A number a rating to it in terms of how good is your listening skills because of the listening skills because um, I, I think if you know wherever you rate yourself you know if you if you said rating yourself four out of five you think well I'm nearly as good as I can be but I think but I don't I'm not a fan of that because I don't think you ever should stop developing that skill it should be a lifelong journey no matter how good you are now I think if there was something that you could take away from from even today's conversation, Jackie, it'd be, it would be just that, you know, really focus on developing your listening skills. And I've got a saying that um, you don't know the question you've asked till you've actually heard the answer to it. And, and I think that's so true. And I think if you can have your radar up and listen with more than your ears, so you're know, watching for people's animation and their body language and their tone of voice, etc., are all important signals in terms of what they may be trying to convey to you more than the actual words they use. Yeah, that's a, that's a great insight. Uh, the other area, and I suppose I had a, a, a personal interest in this or a professional interest, was about mm. what's your personal brand. Mm. So just tell us a little bit about how important a personal brand is, not so much for a entrepreneur but an employee so why is it important for an employee to have a personal brand well it's really really quite critical and the reality is everyone's got a personal brand they may not even know what it they may not know that but, but they actually do have a personal brand and so it's, it's a way of expressing what you what you stand for um and uh, and that goes right to the to your values, most importantly. And the applications for it you know, nowadays is in, particularly in social media like uh, LinkedIn, for instance, as a professional network. Mm. It's really critical that you um, manage your own brand and, and make sure that the perceptions are matching reality. And the best way to do that is to take charge of it yourself and not, not let others craft it for you, but actually craft your own brand because it's, go it's going to effectively be what you stand for, and that will in, impact on uh, what potential employers may see in you or perhaps potential clients of your business may see in you. Um, so it's a really, really critical aspect to, to develop and, and uh, cultivate. And we're very familiar with product brands, but uh, when it comes to our own personal brands, we, we don't pay, or sometimes we don't pay as much attention to it as we should. Yeah, default or design, people will uh, will will come up with that either way. So design's right. always going to be the preferable route, I'd say. Uh, yeah. And also with with employees, if you're looking at uh, if you're ambitious within within an organisation or just wanting to get noticed or mm. wanting to sort of get out there, um, sometimes your own 
perception of yourself can be quite different from how others see you. So how would you advise an employee to get feedback from how other people perceive you? Well, there's some really, really uh, uh, standard uh, uh, ways of doing that. If you're a leader now, you've probably had a 360 done or maybe you haven't, but mm. that's, that's, the, that's a great place to start, yep. having a 360-degree survey conducted. Um, and, you know, your organisation may routinely do that already, but if they don't, I'd perhaps suggest doing that. Um, it's a great way to do that. And also just talking to other people, just ask them. What are your perceptions? And um, looking at what people write about you and, and uh, what they post on, on social media, for instance, and other, are other valuable sources. But in a leadership context, certainly uh, a 360-degree feedback survey is a great way to, to get some very direct and objective feedback. Yeah, another, another idea I suggest is, uh, you mentioned LinkedIn, is to mm. ask for testimonials and then start looking at the, the particularly the verbs or adjectives that people are using to describe you and yeah. start looking for some common threads and that might then give you an insight into it as well. Um, That's now, a terrific yeah, idea, Jackie. Yeah, so speaking of LinkedIn, Greg, um, I noticed there, and, it, and it's always been a topic of interest for me, and, and I can never, I always have this disagreement with a number of LinkedIn experts that can never agree, do you write your LinkedIn profile in the first person or do you write it in the third person? What's your <laughs> view? Well, my view is, um, is, is to write it in the first person. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike... Um, Perhaps uh, a resume, for instance, which is not, which I'm not a fan of, of writing in the first person. But in in a LinkedIn um, profile is really, really important, and it's a way of you actually expressing or letting the readers know what you're really all about, and letting them get to know you a little bit. So a resume is more of a statement about your capabilities and where you're targeting your career and what have you. And a LinkedIn profile is that as well. But it's actually, I think it's an opportunity to uh, be far more personal about what you believe in and your, your, you know, uh, what, well, I put in my um, LinkedIn profile that careers and leadership fascinate me, for instance. And I probably wouldn't write that in in a, um, a resume, for instance, where I was talking more, more to capability. Mm. But I, I would definitely, uh, my preference is first person. And let the write in a way readers can actually get to know you as a person yeah i might need to go back and revisit because i had it in first person then linkedin experts said oh you've got to write in third person jackie so (laughs) i did that i might need to go back and revisit but i think that's that's the message there is not just to write it and leave it is to to keep it up to date and revisit it refresh it yeah i think some people make the mistake of just somehow doing a cut and paste from their resume into their linkedin profile Mm. which i definitely wouldn't recommend so as coming back to your point about personal branding it's a it's a very really it's a really powerful way to personally brand yourself um and uh, perhaps have a look at my my uh, linkedin profile and you'll get a bit of an idea of of what i think about it and, and it's a really powerful branding tool and a part of your book you mentioned who's uh, I'm a big fan of his work Malcolm Gladwell and yep. you mentioned his work on the tipping point just quickly mm. tell us about that yeah well I, I really uh, tipping point was written uh, a, a number of years ago now um, but I think it's still really current it's often quoted you'll hear it uh, being quoted in all sorts of different forums now uh, 
um, as the, the, the so-called tipping point. But it's, it was coined by Malcolm Gladwell, Gladwell, and he spoke about it in his book uh, of the same name as a way, uh, at the point at which something becomes an ep- epidemic. And he spoke about it in terms of health epidemics or in ter- terms of um, or fads uh, that took off. For instance, he gave an example of uh, hush puppies which uh, many of your listeners <laughs> may not even remember, but the, um, they were down to apparently their last 30,000 pairs. And a small cult group in Greenwich Village uh, happened to adopt them, and suddenly the whole brand took off again globally. And, it's, um, and he picked up on these themes and patterns that would occur and reach this uh, so-called tipping point where it would really accelerate. And in an organisational context, I'd often think about it as a way to get a ripple through an organisation. So, as a particularly in a low energy way, uh, of getting the ripple through the organisation um, of, of what you're trying to uh, what you're trying to develop, and and therefore hit uh, you know that so-called tipping point. He also spoke about the, the rule of 150, where he said it was really hard to manage organisations over uh, 150 people mm-hmm. uh, before you had to start putting managers in who would then filter. The information from the from the organisation. So, um, and he spoke about a private organisation that built factories within close proximity to each other, um, uh, with only 150 car spaces. And when he was when the owner of the factory was asked, "Well, how do you know when it's time to build a new factory?" He'd say, "Well, when people stop parking on the on the grass, <laughs> when, <laughs> when they start parking on the grass." Mm-hmm. So, but it's a it's a terrific. It's, uh, in I think it's about 200 pages, and nowhere there he talks about systems theory, but that's effectively what it's all about. Yeah, he's got another Blink. Have you read Blink? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. terrific book. Yeah, yeah, it's great. All his work is is really great. Uh, yeah, but highly recommended. The tipping yeah. point, despite its age, is I would highly recommend uh, your readers. To, uh, it's enjoyable reading, even if you've got no interest in the subject at all. Yeah, um, it's just an enjoyable couple hundred pages. Well, it's a bit like um, Dale. C- Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, that's still relevant. It's probably more yeah. relevant than when he wrote it. So yes, indeed, uh, yeah. uh, it's all interesting yeah. stuff. And your book, we better get back to your book, Career Conversations, Greg Smith, How to Get the Best from Your Talent Pool. Really enjoyed it. Those that want to find out a bit more about you and find where to get the book, they can find you at deliberatepractice.com.au and I believe that you hang around on Twitter and also, of course, your LinkedIn. You've got to look at your LinkedIn page. (laughs) (laughs) Tremendous. Thank you, Greg Smith, for your time today. Thanks so much, Jackie. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying eavesdropping on these interesting conversations. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is a transformational coach, leadership development, for organisational culture, an executive change manager and author. He is Director of Corporate Alchemy. Welcome, Peter Shields. Hello, welcome. Oh, thank you, Jackie. Thank you. Welcome to me too. That's very nice of you. Thank you. Now, (laughs) I have been reading your book and I'm going to start straight off the bat. It's called Leadership Alchemy and I like the fact that it's a like the brand connection with your business, Corporate Alchemy. So tell us a little bit about Corporate Alchemy before we start talking about your book. So yeah, I work as a, as your intro suggested, uh, helping leaders understand their own beliefs and assumptions and transforming them to something more effective for individual and then extended to the collective leadership, so business 
So how do you define transformational leadership? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. There's Most of us are set up um, to be good at leadership or good at management, and I, I do love that old leadership um, book, Good to Great, and the author there, Jim Collins, identified the difference. Um, so I sort of help leaders identify what do they see as great leadership and allow them to set the transformational agenda based on their perspective. I've, I've learned over the years that the ego is a really resistant and powerfully resourced defence mechanism. So now I, I help them and their team identify what is great leadership and then assist them to transform from where they are to where they say they want to be. Yes, I noticed uh, in reading your book and I'm halfway through and I'm absolutely hooked and I read a lot of business books. Uh, I try to also read some fiction to balance out my creative and my brain just to give it a bit of a rest but I do get sent a lot of business books uh, and, and sadly I get a bit upset when it's sort of the same thing over and over and over again Uh, and so I'm always looking for that little bit different some different thinking some real thought leadership and then I came across your book and I must admit it sat there on the shelf for a while because it's quite thick it's got um, 400 pages and most sort of business books are about you know 100 200 or something like that or less with with lots of pictures and I've gone I've had a quick flick through your book and there's no pictures in there there's no flow charts there's no matrix matrix and then I'm thinking what's going on here and then I realize it's a novel and you've actually and it's incredible Peter I'm really impressed you've actually made a business book into a novel much like historical fiction does so I love historical uh, fiction whereby it's based on the reality of Henry VIII or something and then someone like a Philippa Gregory will write it in the first person from one of his wives and then fills in the gaps of what life might have been like and so you're learning history but you're but you're learning it in the you know, um, tried and true way of storytelling. So you've used the power of storytelling to teach, to teach about leadership and to teach about business. And uh, I just think it's it's wonderful. Congratulations! And what what? How did you come up with that idea to actually make it into a story? I, I like you, am a little tired of case study driven academic or. Um, sort of dogmatic style leadership books. Uh, I read them. I get across them. I um, and, and I wanted to bring adult development theory to life. I'm a big fan of Keegan and Leahy's research and um, how that relates to leadership. So I wanted to bring it to life with story and and, and see myself as a bit of a translator. I'm, a, I'm across the academic. I'm not an academic, but I do uh, you know, leverage their perspective to to reference my own thoughts. Yeah, I just wanted to bring it to life, especially for men um, who might be in their mid-40s, might be coming into the prime of their leadership career, but but have an absence of role models to remember from the 80s and 90s that that would be relevant for modern leadership. So much has changed. And, yeah, I really wanted men to understand that. And I I also wanted younger, diverse perspectives on leadership, Um, the obvious one being from females. I wanted them also to have a bit of a role model Well, I think you've you've done that balanced. You've really balanced that 
perfectly. I, I've, I read that and I've, quite often it's very sort of male-dominated, but the reality is a lot of business is male-dominated. So there's that balance of we need to introduce more female role models for more female leaders, but we also need to keep it real. Uh, so there's that reality versus aspiration. And then you also want to bring the young people up, uh, that then people that are older, so they've still got value. Just because you turn 65 or 70, you then go, right, we'll throw you on the scrap heap. Right. That's such a waste as well. And uh, and I think you've balanced that really well. And your first, uh, the first line or the first paragraph of the book, I'm going to read this out just to just right. to tease everyone <laughs> because this first paragraph, I thought, you and you're a natural, obviously natural storyteller. It says here, this is the first bit, I've always been in control. This is from uh, your character, Ben, who's 82. Uh, he was the uh, CEO and founder of a big company. He says, I've always been in control. I've always found a solution to every problem. But now I feel like an uprooted weed, torn from the garden of life, abandoned on the lawn, awaiting death by mower. <laughs> I thought that was a, a lovely way to start and that's a, re- a real issue. Um, did, did you Have you always liked writing stories it's from school? Did you like reading and writing? I, I love historical fictions as well and um, especially if they have a frivolous side and a bit of... Um, I, I love the licence of being able to write fiction. Um, I've written three books before. This is the first I've published and... Um, Yes, I've I've always loved storytelling. I I sadly flunked English and went down to what we used to call in the old days veggie English just to hang out with my cousin. Um, so yeah, I'm, I sort of wish I went on and um, studied three unit English and actually understood more about more about it. But uh, maybe it's time to learn that now. Well, look, I, I certainly will encourage encourage you to do that, Peter. I think uh, this has absolutely filled a gap, and that's the marketer in me. I got very excited about the concept, but then I started really enjoying the the story. As I said, I'm halfway through, so I'm looking forward to see what happens. But I have to ask you about the characters, and I'm uh, speaking to a lot of authors. So did you model these characters on anything about yourself or people that you know? Uh, yeah. Yes, I'm trained in creativity psychotherapy, which is a Jungian approach to psychology and um, all about drama and theatre. And I learned there about the idea that we all have 16 archetypes and um, each of these characters is an archetype representative of my inner uh, fears and angst and issues and also my my idealised, you know, um, objective and... Better integrated characters and feminine sides. So yeah, they're all they're all a part of me. Terrifyingly enough. Well, I noticed that uh, you've got a uh, a background in the psycho- in psychology, but also that you refer to neuroscience. And neuroscience is one of my keen areas, particularly neuromarketing. And mm-hmm. one of the um, I suppose foundations of uh, neuromarketing is the concept of similarity. That if people can see something similar in another person it helps them improve communication and likability and things like that and as I was reading this 
some of these things have happened to me. I'm reading them going, when Angela was in the boardroom and yeah. she's having that boardroom conversation, I've had that conversation. That's happened. I didn't quite, I didn't perform as well as she did in the book, but uh, but I could relate to that. And there was so much in there, all the issues, because she's the coach, Ben's the, the business owner, Angela's the, the business coach and his advisor and, and confidant. Uh, but, you know, even to have someone like that around and, and I just I just like the way that you've actually built that uh, that story around. But, but the bit that I was most interested in was about this shadow aspects, which you just touched on then, this shadow aspects of leadership psychology. Just tell us a little bit about what that is. Yeah, that's a Carl Jung idea who popularised the, the concept of we all have a ego, which is an identity, and, and, and we all have an ego shadow, that, that which I have disowned about myself um, and therefore don't see in myself. And the curious thing about it, though, is I start to see the issue with others, um, and this is called the projection of the shadow. The, the line that lands it best for me, um, Jackie, is that as I look out, I don't see people in the world. I see myself projected onto people in the world. And, and I find that as a deliciously dangerous concept for my self-awareness especially if in service of an organisational goal, um, and especially if I'm overwhelmed and stressed, it's um, yeah, a really powerful way to help leaders take self-awareness to another level and consider that the things that frustrate them about others and the system and the government and the, the industry, etc., could potentially just be something that they've carried into the room. Uh, look, there's so much. I think there's a whole other conversation here, Peter, so I might have to get you back. But there's another paragraph I'm going to read out, which uh, I thought was, again, such a great insight into humanity, into human behaviour. Uh, and you said, it says here, I'm just trying to think who said it. Was it Angela or Ben? Um, I think it might be Angela. But anyway, it's the, the, the concept here is being human is nature's joke on us. She has given us the most complex phenomenon that ever existed, human emotion. It's the window to experience of all nature's paradoxical forces. And to top it off, we were also given an awareness device, the mind, with which to observe it. And then that, that, that is so good because that observation, uh, interestingly, is where it leads lots of opportunity but also leads a lot of problems. So you've got that... The, the dark side and the light side and there's the, 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 the shadow and the light and trying to find that balance between it. Wow, thank you for, um, for picking up on that and um, I'm sometimes jealous of the reptiles and, and arguably the lesser mammals they, uh, and the birds, they, they just operate in the fight, flight, freeze response and yet we have all of that complexity and then on top of that the neocortex, the to assess and to judge, and then all feelings in the middle. It's um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a wonderful wonderful burden to be uh, alive. <laughs> and, and now with the internet and the, the social media, we've got access to everything everyone else is doing and thinking and aware of. It's um, yeah, I find it really humbling to to slow down and, and see and experience that. Yeah, I th that's a good point. I, it's funny you talk about the jealous animals. I look at my dogs all the time and think I want to come back as them. <laughs> I want to be one of my dogs. And oh, just to be a, yeah. oh, to be oh, a dog, to, yeah. Oh, to be a lap dog. Yes. I mean, just, just that whole, 
you know, how excited they get when they get their meals every day. And I must admit it, it grounds me a little bit when I'm feeling overwhelmed or stressed. And I look at them and think, God, just stop for a minute, Jackie, and really take in what's happening right now. I suppose it's that Eckhart Tolle philosophy of the power of now. Stop and <coughs> stop thinking so far ahead and stop looking back. Uh, <coughs> but, you know, look, it's a, it's a constant struggle. But I think... We're getting better at it with people like you around, uh, these books being written, social media if there's some good messaging going out there and also the latest evidence-based findings in neuroscience. They're finding more about the brain now than they've ever had. So hopefully that will lead us to greater growth and not greater destruction. Right, yes, there's so many um, amazing positive things happening and and, and curiously, and, and it's been history's, uh, history holds this as evidence that... Um, the media and uh, likes to leverage all the negative, but boy, there's so many wonderful things going on. Uh, even though governments might be trying to hang on to the uh, old ways, um, industry, creative leaders, young leaders, um, social media is helping. Yeah, it's it's a really exciting time. Yeah, it is. It's very challenging. Well, Peter Shields, it's been a delight talking to you. Congratulations on your book, The Leadership Alchemy. I'm assuming it's available where you can buy books. Uh, it is, and yeah, you book your bookstore. If it doesn't have it, um, they can order it, and um, yeah, you can buy it online as well. Excellent. And if people want to find out a bit more about you, they can connect with you on which platforms? Uh, LinkedIn. I'm, I'm I'm not really into the Facebook thing right now, but LinkedIn definitely I'm available. Um, but also my website uh, is, is is an easy way to to connect with me and and have conversations. Okay, your website is www.corporatealchemy.com.au Corporate and that's alchemy, A-L-C-H-E-M-Y. Corporatealchemy.com.au. Peter Shields, thank you very much for your valuable time today. Really enjoyed it. And thank you for being part of Taking Care of Business. My pleasure, Jackie. Thank you so much and um, have, a wonderful, have a wonderful week. Yeah, I will. I love sharing the knowledge right here on Taking Care of Business on Adult PFM. We'll be right back after this. She has helped entrepreneurs build internationally successful businesses and work with some of the world's most influential organisations. What a CV, what an intro. I'm really excited and looking forward to having a chat with and welcoming Kieran Flanagan. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here. Now, I have to ask the first question that you're involved with, uh, the successful new product launch in Australian history. What was that? I know. It's very mysterious, isn't it? It is. Without telling you what it was. I know. Uh, It was Coke Zero. Oh, it was Coke Zero. Right. Yes. Most successful new product launch in history, in Australian history. Um, They sold their annual projection. Within, I think, two or three months. And it had actually failed in uh, the US and in Canada prior to launching in Australia, and they almost didn't launch it here. It was such a dismal failure in the other countries. So we were third to go, and luckily enough, we did something completely different to the other countries. And uh, anyway, it launched here and was very successful, and they then took that strategy back around the world to launch. Uh, in the other country successfully. So what did you do differently? Do you know what? It's quite a lot of things. Initially, the American marketers had essentially made it uh, a bit of a Diet Coke, so it still had quite a female target, and we went for a male target. Um, Cam was black here. The Cam was white in other markets. Mm. Uh, so it was very different. It was, it was aimed at men, 
it was a, it had a very different tone to uh, Diet Coke. So it, that's what made it successful, taking a very masculine approach and saying men want to have a no-sugar drink as well. Even though women can drink it too, of course, but yeah. uh, men tend to not drink a product aimed at women, whereas women are quite happy to drink a product aimed at men. Right, and uh, having to work with a iconic brand like Coca-Cola, you know, when in, in brand and advertising world, it's always one of the sort of top three brands that uh, particularly as you're starting out, I so hope I hope I get to work for a Coca-Cola. <laughs> uh, what was it like working from them from a, from a brand perspective and having them as a client? Look, you know, we had the privilege of working with them for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. We, we worked with them for a really long, long time on many of their launches and brands and you know, what's amazing, I think, about Coke as a business is they retain a level of ambition that you might think would disappear over time. So, you know, there, there was a thought that you could grow more or do more or build deeper connections with customers. They were always looking to improve, and I think that that is an extraordinary lesson for businesses, big and small, is even the largest businesses on the planet don't uh, stop looking for growth and looking for how they could do better. Yeah. Uh, we might just stop there for a minute. Was um, that car <laughs> No, it was the mobile phone connection dropped out. Oh. Yeah, it I sort of went moved. in and out. Yeah, so I'm just checking. For 10 to 15 years, I can't remember exactly, uh, and it was just an absolute privilege. And I think one of the most amazing things about working with a company like Coke is that no matter their scale, is that they were always incredibly ambitious. They were always looking, how can we do something better? How can we uh, improve our, what we offer? How can we connect better with our customers? And I think every day, show up to work with them and be looking to answer those questions. They're always looking for growth and improvement. And I think that's a really good lesson. It doesn't matter how big or small our businesses are, we should always be looking to do stuff better. I think that's that probably for me was one of the best things about working with them. Yeah, success leaves clues, doesn't it? And that's certainly one that uh, anyone listening now from an entrepreneur, small business owner, working corporately uh, can certainly take out of it. And that's great. Thanks for sharing that story. I knew there was going to be a good story, Kieran, behind that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Now, the next bit of the story is that you have written a book called Forever Skills, the 12 skills to future-proof yourself, your team and your kids. And you've done that with Dan Gregory. And anyone listening, and a lot of our listeners, are great fans of the Gruen Transfer and they will know Dan Gregory from the Gruen Transfer. How did you and Dan uh, co-author this? So did you work together? Yes, we're, we're business partners. We have a business together and we've worked together oh, for just over 25 years wow. now. Yeah, I know, really long partnership. Brilliant. So he's, he said he will have to have me killed if I ever try to leave that work partnership. We're yep. not married yep. uh, because I know too much. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So is this your not, first not book? Not literally have me killed. But, you know, <laughs> I know, I know, figuratively, yeah. So is this your first book? No, we've written, this is our third book, but uh, yeah, so we co-author most of our stuff together and uh, which I think is really nice to have, again, a partnership model uh, to make sure the thinking is rigorous and we interviewed a lot of people for this book, so sometimes I feel a bit bad because there's a whole lot of collective wisdom in there, so 
our names go on the cover, but there's an awful lot of clever people's knowledge and wisdom in that book. Yeah, well, I was pleased to see some research based. How many? How many people did you interview? How many uh, hundreds? Oh gosh, hundreds. Hundreds. So some, some, you know, in different ways. Sometimes it was audience polls and questions given to you know 500 people at a time. Surveys. Some of it was you know face to face interviews. Interviews we've been doing for years. Some of them we didn't. You know, we had stories that we'd gathered from conversations from the past decade or so, really, mm. uh, that we've, it's all melded together into this book. And so you've said here the 12 skills. I have to ask, why 12? <laughs> it's an excellent question. There, look, to be honest, there could be more than 12, but for the ability for people to hold and transmit and learn from them, yeah, 12 is a good number for human beings. Uh, it sounds, it's empirical. It, you know, we're used to operating in 12. So we decided to limit ourselves to 12. But look, people will find the concept of forever skills. They will be able to look and see more in their own world. And some of them we've collapsed uh, into others, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Otherwise, and, yeah. we could have gone forever. Yeah, I know. It, 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 and then, then you probably put people off completely because uh, it would yes. just be too overwhelming. But I do like the fact that you've combined uh, Future Proof uh, yourself, your team... And your kids. And I like the fact that you've combined work and home together. This sort of balanced, uh, you know, it should be blended now. It needs to be, which is always one of my things about, it's all about blended work, workplace, uh, you know, family life, uh, work life, social life. It's all your life. It's one life and about sort of blending it all together. Um, so is, was, was that the sort of premise of, of including the, the home life in that? Well, yeah, I mean, for us, we think the work-life divide is an artificial divide that potentially served us once upon a time. But, mm. no, as you know, as our digital devices and our home lives uh, come together, I agree that we blend them. Mm. Uh, and, we, you know, the book's got an unusual, I guess, frame in it, and we speak a lot to uh, people in companies, but, you know, they're parents. <laughs> so a lot of the conversations are about the business or the you know the small business or the large big corporate business but it's also about education and their children and the conversations are the same you know what are we going to do we're in panic we're facing this tsunami of change we're afraid we're reacting really quickly and we just wanted to put a book into the marketplace and more importantly an idea into people's heads that change isn't as uh, singular uh, as most people see it. So we have to take, most people take a very myopic view of change. We obsess about what's changing. And the, in the book, we share a model that we use all the time with people that makes change easier, which is a three-pronged model. So what's changing, what needs changing, where you proactively change things. Entrepreneurs spend a lot of time there. And what's unchanging. And the book's really focused on what's the unchanging stuff? Won't, what won't go away? You know, we can't completely control change, but we can certainly look at it from those three facets and when we see it in its entirety we take the panic out of it and make it as yeah, I like that. Focus on the things that won't change within us. Uh, I think that's a, a really, really useful uh, useful element in that whole book. I enjoyed that very much. Uh, Kieran, what do you think uh, as we sort of 
in, in work into the future uh, from a business, business perspective as well. What are some of the key human skills that uh, we'll need to develop or at least focus a bit more attention on? Look, you know, as we like to say, you know, if you can replicate it, we'll automate it. Uh, so the things that aren't easily replicable that take individual response and individual uh, judgment. So if they're not cookie-cutter things, so things like communication will be always important. It always has been important. Uh, so you know, can, you, can you relate to people? Can you understand them? Empathy is always going to be important. Building teams, uh, being able to transfer information clearly, quickly, easily, so people can understand it. And, and creativity skills. So how do you problem solve? How do you come up with a new way of doing things? How do you have an insight to, you know, how do you make that data meaningful? So, again, we can capture data on mass, but we can't necessarily interpret it and make it useful. Data without meaning is, you know, just numbers, really. It's, the, it's sort of the interpretation that makes it useful. So that will be really important. Uh, and then, you know, it's always still going to be, can you look after yourself? Can you get stuff done? Can you make things happen? Can you get out of bed in the morning and go and achieve something? Or you get, you know, sucked into your Candy Crush app on your phone? You know, that's still, those distinctions will still be really important. And we think we, we're going to need more of them, if anything, uh, because you won't be able to just show up to work and input some data and do a really repetitive job. You'll have to do more than that. Yeah. Now, I did notice when I was doing a little LinkedIn stalking in preparation for today's <laughs> interview uh, that there's uh, you're involved with something called the Impossible Institute. Uh, and uh, you, with your background, of course, you're, I'm hooked. You've got me. Can you tell me a little bit more about what the Impossible Institute is? Well, it's a, it's a training and development company. So we help organisations, big and small, uh, learn to think differently, to do change differently, and, you know, to, to just change what's possible for themselves, their company. We like to uh, teach a lot of skills and a lot of thinking. So it's a really fun sort of education training company. Yeah, what's what's one of the biggest uh, roadblocks or barriers at the moment with the C-suite in change? Oh, look, I think just the constant rate of change. Mm. And again, human beings, we're wired not to change. But I mean, obviously, we physically change, but emotionally and physiologically, our brains particularly are wired to repeat. It's made us incredibly successful as a species. We've been, you know, we, we're designed, we're pattern-making machines, and to endure constant change, not get to a reset and forget, so, you know, we go, okay, it's okay, it's a big change, and we reset. But at the moment, we're not being given that opportunity. It's just constant. And I think the C-suite, everyone's over it. You know, change fatigue is a thing. People are just exhausted. The word change almost is just people are numb to it. And we hear a lot of that. They just go, oh, they roll their eyes. Oh, it's another change program running through. It's another change system. It's an, oh, we've seen it all before. I think that is the biggest challenge we face, is changes and going away, yet people are sick to death of it already. Yeah, so when you do your speaking, I notice you do quite a bit of motivational speaking, uh, is yeah. there any particular topic that's most requested? 
change? <laughs> How do we do change better? Yeah, okay. <laughs> of course. I actually walked straight into that one, didn't I? <laughs> you did. It was like a trap. <laughs> it was. I trapped myself. Okay. <laughs> yeah. At the moment, usually every briefing call, so you get a briefing call beforehand, you know, make sure you understand the audience. And I, literally, if I had money for every time I get on a call, I'm like, so our industry is facing a lot of change right now. Right. <laughs> I, but it's the truth, and you know, you, you you have to laugh in a way. But it just it absolutely, and that's what's terrifying as a parent. I've, I've got a ten-year-old, and it's just such a common question: is we can't see things out really. You know, we can guess, but we can't truly see that far. And we know that the rate of change. Um, our friend Anders Solomon Nielsen is uh, a speaker, and he had a great quote the other week, which was. Uh, change is really fast, but it's the slowest it's ever going to be again. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good. Interesting. Really, <laughs> yeah, very thought-provoking. Uh, yeah. And on that note, uh, if you're wanting to pr- future-proof yourself and your team and your kids, have a read of Forever Skills by Kieran Flanagan and Dan Gregory. And I'm assuming it's available where all great books are sold. It is. I know bookshops are disappearing, yes. sadly. Uh, but yes, in bookshops and obviously online and your booksellers. And if people want to continue the conversation with you, Kieran, they can find you on Twitter, they can find you on Facebook under the Impossible Institute. I'll certainly be following you and also on LinkedIn. In. Thank you once again for your valuable time and helping all business owners, business leaders, entrepreneurs, startups, anyone else that has got a business thought, help them future proof themselves, their team, and their kids. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. We enjoy Bye. picking these brains here on taking care of business.